Hello and welcome to episode 602 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this afternoon. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Tuesday, July 25th, 2023, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us begin with the Tuesday prayer to the Blessed Virgin Mary to obtain a good death. O Mary, how shall I die? Even now that I think of my sins and of that decisive moment on which my salvation or eternal damnation depends, of that moment in which I must expire and be judged, I tremble and am confounded. O my most sweet mother, my hopes are in the blood of Jesus Christ and in thy intercession. O comfortress of the afflicted, do not then abandon me. Cease not to console me in that moment of so great affliction. If I am now so tormented by remorse for sins committed, the uncertainty of pardon, the danger of relapse, and the rigor of divine justice, what will become of me then? Unless thou helpest me, I shall be lost. Ah, my lady, before death obtain me great sorrow for my sins, thorough amendment and fidelity to God during the remainder of my life. And when my last moment arrives, O Mary, my hope, help me in the great distress in which I shall then be. Encourage me that I may not despair at the sight of my sins, which the devil will place before me. Obtain that I may then invoke thee more frequently, so that I may expire with thy most sweet name and that of thy beloved Son on my lips. Nay, more, my lady, but forgive my boldness before I expire. Do thou come thyself and comfort me with thy presence. Thou hast granted this favor to so many of thy devout servants. I also desire and hope it. I am a sinner, it is true. I do not deserve so great a favor, but I am thy servant, love thee, and have full confidence in thee. O Mary, I shall expect thee. Do not disappoint me of this consolation. At least if I am not worthy of so great a favor, do thou help me from heaven, that I may leave this life loving God in thee to love thee eternally in paradise. Amen. Today, friends, we're continuing as a part of Natural Family Planning Awareness Week, going through the Your Right to Know series from Natural Family Planning International, which was initially published a decade ago, July of 2013. This is from nfpandmore.org, and this is called Your Right to Know the Internal Observations. As noted in the previous posting dealing with cervical mucus, Dr. Edward F. Keefe was the first doctor of record in the United States to promote and teach the observation of cervical mucus starting in 1948 or 1949 with reference to his Ovulindex thermometer booklet, and more specifically with an illustration in the 1953 edition of that booklet. He wanted the mucus and temperature signs used in a cross-checking way, and he was thus opposed to the Billings emphasis on using it by itself. In 1975, he wrote the following review of the Billings book. This appeared in Coverline, the newsletter of the Natural Family Planning Association of Connecticut, spring 1975. Since he is the pioneer in this area, I thought it would be worthwhile to have his opinions available on the internet. Reflections on Mucus Alone as a Fertility Sign by Edward F. Keefe, M.D. A strong tone of advocacy marks Dr. Billing's book, Natural Family Planning, the Ovulation Method, Second American Edition. While its shortcomings are now well recognized in spite of the enthusiasm of its proponents, I welcome a chance to place in the record a review of this book. Preparing the review brought to mind my early efforts to improve systematic abstinence as a means of family limitation. I recalled my excitement over a paper on the rheology of the human cervical mucus. 
Rheology is the study of flow. Women apply it every day when they judge such things as syrups, jellies, batters, ripeness of fruit, etc. in the kitchen. The paper made me wonder if a woman could not observe for herself the changes in the physical properties of her cervical mucus as well as its volume changes, which already could signify the fertile time in farm animals. I reported on preliminary studies of these aids in 1950 to a meeting of the medical staff of St. Vincent's Hospital of New York. They listened politely, but many questioned if there was a fertile time in women at all, not whether it could be recognized by temperatures or mucus. The Ovulindex thermometer had just been developed by me. I should disclose I still own the company that manufactures it. In 1948, I wrote anonymously its first handbook, which said no more about mucus, I find now, than that its presence was to be recorded along with the temperatures. But by 1953, I was so confident that changes in the mucus were a valuable guide that I fully described them in the second edition. I illustrated the location of the cervix and how to test threading of the mucus between thumb and forefinger, a rheologic test. In my office practice, at first I, too, taught the use of the mucus on the vulva, as does Dr. Billings, but it was insufficient, inconstant, and lagged behind the true state of the ovaries, according to my patients. Most of them had been, quote, rhythm failures many times over, and they demanded perfect results. The best mucus sample was needed, and the place to find it was in the cervical canal unaffected by passage through the vagina. I encouraged them to remove the mucus directly from the cervix. After trying aspiration through a tube, we settled on removing the mucus with the fingers. In making such collections, my patients discovered there were changes in the cervix itself. They found at the approach of ovulation, as the mucus became abundant, thin, and clear, the cervix itself softened and the canal opened. A search of the medical literature disclosed descriptions of this dilation of the canal, but to apply these changes to periodic abstinence was something new. I studied them for more than 10 years. Many women were enthusiastic about the science and asked why they did not receive more publicity. Meanwhile, my paper on this seemed to create little interest among doctors. The spotlight was on Dr. Rock's 100% effective pill, quote-unquote. Somewhat later, my patients reported to me that the cervix is elevated as well into the pelvis before ovulation and descends after it. These were astonishing changes not mentioned in the literature. I felt certain enough of these signs to describe them in 1964 in the third edition of the Ovulindex Thermometer Handbook and in Coverline, Volume 2, Number 4, 1970. Meanwhile, Dr. Billings lectured to our obstetrical staff at St. Vincent's, and when he returned to Australia, his home, he kindly sent me the ovulation method, first edition, 1964, which explained calculation of the cycle pattern, temperature charting, and the changes in mucus. In 1965, I learned from Dr. Lanktot, L-A-N-C-T-O-T, that mucus was a, quote, symptom in the symptothermic method. I was happy that others were working along the same lines as myself. Just recently, Dr. Josef Rautzer of Volkelbruck, Austria, and explaining his symptothermal method at a roundtable on ovulation prediction in Rome on April 4th through the 6th, 1974, described the changes in the cervix mentioned above, including its elevation at the fertile time. His patients, like mine, had discovered for themselves these signs. I still believe it could become common knowledge that if a woman finds her cervix flaccid, gaping, and streaming with mucus, there is a great chance of conception, and in the absence of these signs, there is less or no chance, end quote. 
Dr. Billings' book will help disseminate part of this knowledge, or for that, I welcome it. Excuse me, and for that, I welcome it. But I would rather that mucus signs supplement the charting of temperature, not replace them as the book demands. Moreover, just because mucus on the vulva is not a dependable sign, its shortcomings must not cause us to undervalue the changes in the cervical mucus and the cervix itself. I will go into this in a forthcoming book review. And then um, John F. Kipley adds, we do not have his book review to see how all the signs are used in a cross-checking way. See our manual, Natural Family Planning, The Complete Approach, which I have read at www.nfpandmore.org. And this article was initially published on August 4th, 2013. To reiterate, friends, we need good marriage preparation program. We need people to learn proper Catholic moral teaching. We need people to learn biology, how their bodies work. We need all these things in the right kind of marriage preparation program. It's crucial because unfortunately in our society, we have young ladies when they're in high school, sometimes even earlier than that, being prescribed what? Birth control pills which are immoral and have led to an explosion of immorality in America and throughout the world since the mid-1960s. And that has to cease. I get back to the words of the Catholic convert from Judaism, Dr. Martin L. Brenner, may he rest in peace, saying contraception isn't a big issue, it's the only issue. There's an excellent series of talks by the late Dr. Brenner. I believe they recorded in the summer of 2011, um, available at the uh, Church Militant YouTube channel. It was called something like Contraception and uh, the New Dark Age, or words to that effect. You can just do a search on YouTube. Um for Dr. Dr. Martin L. Brenner, B-R-E-N-N-E-R, and I'm, I'm sure it'll come up. And there were four talks that were given in Michigan. Again, I believe it was 2011. Very worthwhile stuff to listen to. I would disagree uh, respectfully with the late doctor on a few things. One of them was he talks about um, later marriage. Well, you know, probably most women are cognizant of the fact that on average, um, they are, I think up to three times, usually less fertile at the age of 30 than they are at the age of 20. And we have mm, whole, whole generation now, a couple of generations of women who are opting to go to college, go to graduate school, maybe post-grad, et cetera. And then they get to be around 30 years old and want to settle down and get married and find out, well, uh, the guys aren't as interested in them as they were a decade ago when they were at the height of their fertility. Well, that's kind of a, an ironclad uh, rule uh, of nature, you might say that men are naturally attracted to women who are young and healthy. 
and women want to be with men who have resources and status so they can provide for their children. That's just the, the way it goes. Um, I'm looking here. I did a search for Martin L. Brenner, uh, Catholic, and that pops up. If you do Martin L. Brenner and contraception, I'll do that too. Then probably will pop up as well. Yeah, it's from the uh, Church Militant Archives. So just do a search, Martin Brenner, contraception, something like that. Um, and a series of four talks will pop up. He was a, a very good man from what I understand. Uh, you can tell in the shows he has a great sense of humor as well and, and explains what the church teaches very, very clearly and very uh, winsomely. So let's get the word out there about the beautiful plan that our Lord has for marriage and human sexuality. And let's also mention at this time, as we do in the conclusion of the last several hundred episodes of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast, Helping Autism Through Learning and Outreach, available on the web at halo-soma.org. That's halo-soma. Dot org, also episodes 277 and 548 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. You know, before my niece was roughly eight years old, we didn't even know her favorite color. Now we know she's a comprehensive genius who is skilled at composing music, mathematics, even knows other languages. This is all because of RPM, Rapid Prompting Method, a system of communication for non-speakers, just as sign language was a revolutionary breakthrough for the deaf, so RPM has been a revolutionary breakthrough for non-speakers. So let's get the word out there far and wide, my friends, because communication is a human right. Thank you for listening to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast, and we'll see you again next time. Goodbye, and God love you. <laughs>